When President Biden delivered his first address to a joint session of Congress last month, he gave a historic shout out to transgender people. Your president has your back. The support was important to hear for the community, especially because harassment and violence against transgender people, especially transgender women of color, continues to rise across the United States. Just five months into the year, the U.S. is on track to break a troubling record. Last year in 2020, 44 transgender people were killed in the U.S. and its territories. So far this year, the count is close to two dozen. Those are just the cases that we know of. More than half of the victims were black trans women, and the region with the highest rate is the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. It's so bad there that earlier this year, Governor Pedro Pierluisi declared a state of emergency to combat the violence. At the same time, anti-transgender bills continue to spread across the United States, creating a climate of fear and danger. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is May 17th, 2021. Protests spread around the world as the violence in Gaza escalates. Kobe Bryant is inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And Shake Shack opens up in Dodger Stadium. Hey, if the Dodgers are going with overrated East Coast burgers, at least it wasn't five guys. Today, we'll speak with Mark Ramirez about the rise in transgender violence in Puerto Rico and across the U.S. He's a USA Today national correspondent who covers identity and inclusion issues. And we'll also speak to Maria Jose. She's a trans woman who heads a safe space in Puerto Rico for LGBTQ folks. Earlier this month, USA Today reporter Mark Ramirez wrote a powerful, disturbing story on the epidemic of anti-trans violence in the United States and its territories. He focused on Puerto Rico and the lives of victims, lives stolen too soon. Mark says as he was reporting the story, the death count continued to grow. The number of um, deaths in the U.S. and Puerto Rico had climbed from, I think, 16 to 20. And just in the time that that story has run, we've had three more. So the count is actually now at 23. So we're on pace to, to if, if this continues, I mean, to, to have 60 deaths, which would be quite a bit more than last year's total of 44. Yeah, your article focused on Puerto Rico, which statistically has the highest rate of trans killings in the U.S. and its territories. What did people there tell you about the reasons the island has seen this disturbing phenomenon? They credit that to a uh, long history of uh, religious fundamentalism on the island. You know, certainly there's that idea of machismo, but they, they downplayed that, saying that it was really more of this conservative, um, really fundamentalist uh, religion um, that uh, has played into politics there. Um, and so there's been a lot of anti-LGBT rhetoric um, going on in the island that they say, you know, fuels basically the actions of people who don't quite, uh, are not accepting of the LGBT community. As I stated before, you know, it's really it's really kind of an economic situation where Many times, if someone is not feeling accepted by society and their economic opportunities are limited, um, that's a situation that we've seen there on the island because of the still lingering effects of Hurricane Maria. Um, Many transgender women have been forced onto the streets and are resorting to the street economy, um, basically selling their bodies, and they end up in very dangerous situations there as well. And the trans people that you spoke to in Puerto Rico, how are they responding to this spike in deaths in their community? 
people are feeling in the community are feeling like they always have to look over the shoulder and take measures to even have a social life. You're finding that people are, are waiting until after dark to go out so they're not as visible. I spoke to one woman who was, um, you know, felt that she had to accentuate her feminine features and speak in a, in a more female voice to basically cover the fact that she was trans, almost like she was wearing a costume so she wouldn't be hurt. Do you hear anything from trans activists or even from law enforcement about an undercount in deaths or cases being underreported? Yes, absolutely. Um, most of these numbers are, are compiled by, the, by a group called the Human Rights Campaign. And that is a constant uh, sort of asterisk to all of their numbers that they do feel these are undercounts because when these homicides happen, they are often people are the victims are often misgendered either by law enforcement who may be unaware or are just strictly going by genitalia or are just uh, not trained to know better or by families who are sometimes, who can identify the body and are, and maybe are ashamed of, of that person's gender identity and don't want to legitimize that. And so, so certainly, yeah, a lot of activist groups feel that these numbers are not correct, that they're actually an undercount. Can you tell us about the lives of some of the people killed? Definitely the majority of deaths have been women. Uh, transgender women, and that fits into a larger backdrop of violence against women on the island in general, one that's been so bad that the governor um, declared a state of emergency earlier this year. Este patrón de violencia machista y discriminatoria, como nunca antes había atendido, que reconocemos que esto data de décadas. We had a transgender man who was the first death this year in Puerto Rico, whose body was found on the side of the road in January. Last year, there were um, they ranged from a homeless woman who was basically stalked after her image was put out on social media, and then a pair of women who were had been out on a date partying with a couple of guys, and the guys claimed that. Uh, they did not know that the victims were transgender um, and became enraged once they found out and um, used that as a pretext to kill them. These are the kinds of situations that we often see these sorts of um, homicides happening in because transgender women many times because of economic situations are forced into dangerous and risky situations in their lives. And how are Puerto Rican officials responding to the spike in violence? And we should say not just against trans people, but all women. Well, certainly the governor in declaring his uh, state of emergency earlier this year, because there had been such a spate of violence against women, as I mentioned earlier, police said there were maybe 5,500 violent incidences against women last year. Um, but because of the uh, number of transgender women who have been killed as well, activists convinced the, the governor to add uh, that community to his declaration of emergency as well. So. So there is some attention being given to this as part of the executive order that the governor put in place, put together a committee to kind of oversee implementation of some of the, uh, the measures that he's calling for. And that committee does include members of the LGBTQ community. So there is some movement at the top level and, and there is advocacy throughout, but kind of remains to be seen how effective that's going to be given this conservative faction that is constantly fighting back against uh, some of these rights that they're trying to instill. President Biden expressed his support for transgender people in his congressional address last month. But what concrete steps is the administration taking to curb that violence and harassment? Well, um, you know, President Biden in his address mentioned that, uh, you know, he basically gave a shout out to the transgender community saying, we have your back. You know, talked about the need to pass the Equality Act. 
I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, you're so brave. I want you to know your president has your back. Another thing. Um, and so the community is really, really waiting for that to happen and saying that that could go a long way, especially in Puerto Rico, where um, those kinds of moves are not really coming from leadership there. You know, it's, it's kind of a wait and see attitude right now, but, but people are very hopeful. And what would the Equality Act do? Um, it would basically provide protections in areas such as uh, housing, employment, social services that would prevent discrimination on the base of uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. In April, my colleague Michael Hiltzik wrote a column about how states across the country are passing anti-transgender bills. In Arkansas, for instance, the legislature there passed a law that outlaws gender-affirming treatments for transgendered minors. And you're seeing bills, you know, bathroom bills and all sorts of other things on many levels. What do activists and allies say about how these bills contribute to the rise in anti-trans violence? Again, it's a, you know, along with the kind of rhetoric that is going on on, on the part of certain people in power, um, they say that that gives, that these kinds of bills give people, license people who are, who are prone to act out violently in these situations, that they feel that if, you know, someone in power is not legitimizing the humanity of someone who is transgender, that that gives them license to, to act out violently. You know, some of the activists were telling me that in general, Puerto Rico and, and specifically San Juan has a has a very good reputation as a welcoming place for the LGBT community. But there is still that very conservative faction on the island that is certainly not ready to be as welcoming. Your article just published a couple of weeks ago, and there's already been three more trans killings. So do you think the rate's going to slow down at all? I mean, who can say? But it's it certainly... Um, <sighs> It's shocking to see that these deaths continue to pile up. And this is happening at the same time that most Americans, polls show that most Americans support transgender rights. So um, it's just a shocking trend and I I don't know. I mean, I certainly hope that that the rate slows down, but I, I don't see, it doesn't seem to be on a very good trend right now. Thank you for this interview, Mark. Absolutely, thank you. I was speaking with Mark Ramirez. He's a USA Today national correspondent covering identity and inclusion issues. Next up, life in Puerto Rico for a trans community increasingly on edge, and one trans woman who refuses to give in to the fear. Stay tuned. Maria Jose is the matriarch of House of Grace. It's a trans-feminist, anti-racist collective and safe space for LGBTQ individuals. It's located in the Puerto Rican capital of San Juan. Thank you for being on this show, Maria Jose. Thank you for having me. You're an artist and a performer, so how is your identity and your activism as a trans person expressed in your music and art? Well, I actually studied photography in New York at Parsons, the new school for design. And my first self-portraits were, you know, these uh, explorations of my body. And I think through my photographs and through my poetry and my performance, I think it's always had an autobiographical element. I do think that everything I do, like most of my artwork, uh, directly relates to my life and identity. So, and as a trans woman, as a non-binary person, and as a Puerto Rican. And right now we have this moment where so many trans people are being killed, uh, you know, not just in the United States, but especially in Puerto Rico. How is your art addressing that? Well, 
you know, what I've been doing recently is every Monday, I text everyone in House of Grace. I'm like, what are you doing? Let's go to the river. Let's go to a beach. And I've been taking photographs of the girls and the people just kind of relaxing, having a great time, looking really good and being surrounded by people who make them feel safe. I'm very interested in creating other worlds in which we aren't, you know, being killed or, or where that isn't at the center of the narrative or even the concept or aesthetic of what I'm doing. Um, I'm really interested in showing trans people alive and thriving and happy and in love and extremely, you know, powerful. Una cata, cata de ratas en malas patas, patatas, achando, rayan, corbata, tachando, cinta, dispara, papá y balas y babas, muchacho, chacha, muchacha, cacaza, blanca, taca. You know, I just recorded my first single, Casa Blanca, in the song I say. Casa Blanca, no te queremos más. Casa Blanca, no te queremos más. Like, White House, we don't want you anymore. Um, White House, I can govern myself. We're gonna save the white star, which is the, the star in the Puerto Rican flag. I think that song also portrays me as powerful, as an individual that can fight back. You know, like not just as a victim of violence, but someone that is responding to it in a very powerful way. In general, I'm trying to really pull these people out, um, you know, specifically the people in my house, but the trans community at large as well, outside of that violence that is really inescapable, so sometimes it does feel like a very hard task. Uh, it can feel hopeless. I do want to talk about one particularly disturbing case, and I, please stop me if, if it's too much. So in 2020, there was a, a, a transgendered woman killed named Alexa, and video on social media showed men mocking her and then the sound of gunfire. But a year later, no one has still been charged with Alexa's murder. Do you think law enforcement in Puerto Rico is doing all it can to investigate cases like that and just anti-trans violence in general? No, 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 no. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And unfortunately, this is not only what we see with trans feminicides, but just feminicides in general. Um, very particularly with queer people, though, it seems like people have an easy time just kind of brushing it off. And it's horrible to think that the assassins of this woman are still out and about. Oh, I don't know. It's so hard, you know, to like think of restorative justice and at the same time to think about, you know, keeping people safe from really violent people, raping and murdering and it's all happening in such a concentrated space. You can't really escape from unless you are 
on a plane or on a boat, you know, it's a, it's a small island in which a lot of things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely very, very surreal and terrible. And I do think that people in the United States need to understand what's going on in Puerto Rico. This isn't just happening, sadly, in Puerto Rico, but all across the United States. And we'll talk more about this after this break. So, Maria Jose, you were telling me about this rise in anti-trans violence in Puerto Rico. And I also mentioned that it was happening in the mainland as well. So many of those targeted are trans women of color. Like here in California, there was two Latina trans women, Rayana Pardo and Natalia Smoot. They were killed this spring. Pardo was killed in L.A. in March and Smoot was killed in San Jose in April. What do you think can help to reduce this epidemic? <laughs> what do you think will help uh, stop climate crisis from happening? You know, I, I, I do not know the, the simple answer to that. There are so many crises that we are facing right now. How do you teach humans to be empathetic to other humans? And I think first and foremost, you know, like we have to find a way of getting humans kind of on the same page about life. Something that I personally want for House of Grace is a house because we don't have a physical space to live in. We kind of share our individual homes to shelter people. Um, some of them are tra on transitory housing. Some of them are living with their parents who don't really nurture their spirit. I would like a space where I can live and work for the rest of my life. You know, sometimes I do feel okay and full of hope and fearless. But I think it's kind of a very strong and sustained effort to feel those things when the reality is that there are things to be afraid of. But I refuse to leave, live in fear. What protections do you take then to get to that great spot? You were talking about earlier about just going with all the members of the house to the beach and just living life and being happy and being out there and being beautiful. What, what other things do Stethis do to... To, to get to that place of hope that things will get better at some point. I think, you know, surrounding each other, supporting each other's visions and dreams, despite having a target on our back. And I think that's something really fabulous about trans feminine people, specifically trans women, um, how they manage to, to stay so strong and beautiful and feminine and and fierce and fabulous in the face of such horrors and to make each other feel like we have each other's back. But we all know how difficult that is for so many people right now. Thank you so much for this interview, Maria Jose. De nada, corazones. I hope that y'all have a really good day and that you get to rest. Cuídate. Cuídense, bye-bye.
And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Julia Turner. Our theme music is by Andrew Eapen. And special thanks to Maria Jose for letting us use her music in this episode. I'm Gustavo Arellano. Later this week, a judge tells the Los Angeles Police Department to watch its use of so-called less lethal weapons against protesters and journalists. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias. 